0: Hey, this is Liz. We've got a bonus episode for you this week. It's the Pittsburgh Mayoral Debate, co-hosted by WESA and the Pittsburgh Black Media Federation, and moderated by my colleagues Chris Potter and Ariel Worthy. If you didn't catch it on the air this past Tuesday or you missed part of it, we've got you covered. Potter, take it away.
1: Hello, and welcome to 90.5 WESA's Pittsburgh Mayoral Debate. I'm Chris Potter, WESA's Government and Accountability Editor. And I'll be moderating this forum along with my colleague, City Hall reporter Ariel Worthy. For decades, the conversation about Pittsburgh's future involved how to recover from its past, and especially the collapse of big steel. In some ways, we still haven't finished that work. But even as traces of the old Pittsburgh disappear, we're still trying to decide how to build the new Pittsburgh and who it's being built for. In partnership with the Pittsburgh Black Media Federation, we'll be with you and the four candidates running for mayor on the May 18th Democratic primary ballot, as they offer their answer to those questions. The candidates will introduce themselves in a moment, but first, Ariel will explain tonight's ground rules.
0: Thanks, Chris. The candidates on the ballot are the incumbent Mayor Bill Peduto and his three challengers, State Representative Ed Ganey, retired Pittsburgh police officer Tony Marino, and Oakland resident Mike Thompson. Each of the candidates will now have a one-minute opening statement and a one-minute closing at the end of the hour. Questions have been selected by Chris and I. Some will be directed at all four of you, while others will be directed solely to specific candidates. All answers will be limited to one minute each. Candidates may be given a one-minute rebuttal opportunities at our discretion. But we now begin with opening statements and working in alphabetical order. We start with Ed Ganey.
2: Good morning, and thank you for having me. My name is Ed Ganey. I'm a candidate for mayor in the city of Pittsburgh, because I believe that we could have a city for all, and I want to help build that. I want a city where we have all have opportunity and we have access to the things that's going to help all of us grow. The only way as a region that we're going to come together is if we work together, plan together, and make sure that we're creating a city where everybody has opportunity, where they don't have to leave Pittsburgh. They can stay right here. We have a lot of disparities that we can turn into opportunities. And I'm running for mayor because I want to see a city for all, thank you.
0: And we'll now hear from Tony Moreno.
3: Hello everybody and thank you for having me. My name is Tony Moreno. I'm running for mayor in the city of Pittsburgh and asking for your vote and support because we need to bring this back to neighborhoods first. We've experienced tremendous growth, but it's come at a human cost. We have shut people out of the ability to have the opportunity to grow with the rest of the city. We can all be one together, and the reason I'm the one to choose is because I've been a part of the community, I've been an active part of what we do together, instead of working from a political point, I've worked from inside the neighborhoods and inside our communities. I have taken the approach of, go listen to what our neighbors say, and then fix the problems from their point of view, instead of putting political answers on people problems. We need to put people answers on people's problems. So that's my greatest strength is being out in the community and being a part of the neighborhood. And that's how I'm gonna bring the leadership back to the city of Pittsburgh. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Mr. Feduto.
4: Thank you, Ariel. And uh, thank you to the Black Media Federation and the WESA for putting this together and giving the people of Pittsburgh an opportunity to hear directly from the candidates. I've dedicated my life to one thing, and that is the city of Pittsburgh. During the eighties and the nineties, when I watched my family and friends leave, um, I knew there was something worth fighting for. And I went to work and learned about city government and the role that city government can play in improving the lives and the communities of our, of our city. These past seven years, we've turned a corner. We've been able to make improvements in almost every key indicator within the city of Pittsburgh. But our work's not done. It's far from done. There's a lot more that needs to be done in order to build a city for all. And I'm running for re election to do just that.
0: And Mr. Thompson, you're up.
5: Hi, I'm Mike Thompson. I'm running for mayor. I'm a renter. I live in affordable housing. And I'm concerned about where the rest of us are going to live. We build only luxury housing for those who can afford it, the rest also need somewhere to live we need to re-examine how we do development, okay? And when developers offer you money, you have to say, no, I don't want your money in my campaign. And then when they come asking for money later, it's important to say, no, we're not giving any tax breaks or tax incentives to developers. We need that money to fix our roads, to fix our parks, to improve our schools. We have to get back to basics in that we are the government and we take in taxes and we don't give out tax breaks to the wealthy. We have to focus on giving good services and we have to say no to tax breaks and focus more on people and renters are people.
1: Thank you candidates. We now turn to the question and answer portion of the debate. Remember your answers are limited to one minute long and uh, if you go over that, you may be muted at our will. Um, The first question is this, it's been over a year since the coronavirus struck and the response to it has shown the strengths and weaknesses of governments all around the world. What lessons has the virus taught us about government in Pittsburgh? And as mayor, what would you do to act on those lessons? And I believe we uh, begin with uh, Mr. Moreno.
3: Thank you. Uh, COVID is the worst thing that's happened to us. It, it really exposed the problems in our leadership, in our government. There was a giant spotlight put right on our elected officials under a magnifying glass. It's important to be engaged, to know what's going on in the community, in the business, to shape all of our policies trying to protect us around the safe operation of those businesses and in those communities. We just can't ignore it. We can't hide from it. We have to be actively involved with it so we can attack the problems that are coming because it's an ever flowing situation and it's ever changing. And unless you're there on the ground involved, hands on, you don't know, you can't just make a blanket policy that addresses everything the same way. You need to have your ears open, your mouth closed, and listen to what's going on, and then make it priority to push those things that'll help everybody.
1: Mr. Peduto, the question to you.
4: Yes, um, coronavirus is one of several crises that we have faced over these past seven years. We started early, we created a plan back in January to purchase PPE gear, laptops, notebooks, and having the ability to work remotely. We created contingency plans. What would it look like if our environmental services were down 40%, what would it look like if 25% of our police officers couldn't report for duty? And then we created different opportunities. We rented out hotel rooms to be able to quarantine our workforce. We got hotel rooms to take care of our homeless community and those most vulnerable. We turned our parks and recreation department into a food operation and delivered over 500,000 meals. We had to close down operations, and I realized that was difficult for certain people. But the fact of the matter was, it was required to be responsible in order to limit the
5: uh, pandemic.
1: Thank you, Mr. Peduto. Mr.
4: Thompson.
5: Well, I think one thing we've really learned is that we have to be more flexible, more nimble, and more human. So the question is, what does the future of work in the city of Pittsburgh look like? We're not gonna be all remote. We're not gonna be all in person. We have to just have a human approach and see what the best situation is. I think when you walk into the mayor's office, we should have someone there to greet you. And you know, when I have a a staff meeting, I would like to see my staffers in person occasionally. But beyond that, we have to be flexible. If productivity is up or equal and people are better off working from home, those people should be able to continue to work from home. And those who come to the office should come into the office. But this poses long-term problems uh, because if people don't come into the office downtown, we're gonna have to have a plan for what to do with all that space. You know, We need income from commercial properties. And if people don't come back to work in person, We have to, you know, have a plan to reimagine what the city will look like if that's the city of our future.
1: Thank you, Mr. Thompson. And Mr. Ganey, you uh, round out the questioning on this one.
2: The pandemic taught us a lot. One, as a leader of any city, when you have something that is tragic and as large as a pandemic called the COVID-19 virus that we had to deal with, the one thing you have to do is show up in these neighborhoods, particularly these neighborhoods that we say are the most vulnerable. And we know that the COVID-19, how it attacked black and brown people, and the reality is that people from downtown didn't show up. We fought hard, black elected officials, to get testing done at federal qualified, federally qualified health care centers so that people could get tested. We began to work with certain church organizations to make sure that vaccines was happening. And when you have something this large, you have to be present. It's more than just saying that you care about the people. You got to be out there amongst the people saying, here's how I'm going to help you get tested. Here's what we're going to do to make sure you get the vaccine. When we get an opportunity to bring the city together like COVID-19 gave us and we don't do it, it shows a lot of people in this city that we don't care. To be a leader, you must be there and show the people that you care for.
1: Mr. Beduto, uh, Mr. Gainey, didn't mention you by name, but um, I would say implicit within his remarks is a criticism of you and the administration for not being present enough. Um, You have a one minute uh, rebuttal opportunity if you would like to avail yourself of it.
4: Sure. Um, There's a difference between what a city or a municipality does and what a county does. Uh, Municipalities and cities throughout the United States are not given vaccines. Uh, They're distributed by the state through counties. Uh, They're not given directly to churches. Those are organized by the city with places like UPMC and Allegheny Health Network. And we have been doing that. We have been in the community being the coordinators between those who are getting the distribution of the vaccines and the nonprofit organizations that have been in the neighborhoods, especially concentrating on our lowest income neighborhoods and the availability to walk to be able to get your vaccine. I have joined mayors from around the country asking the Biden administration to give cities that same opportunity and to distribute directly to cities instead of to states. And I've worked with the governor as well in order to create a program that would allow us to do so at all of our rec centers and senior centers around the city. Thank Um, you, Mr. Peduto. That will be the responsibility of the county. Thank you, sir.
0: Even before the virus, there were chronic questions about the city's well-being, especially among people of color. City Council declared racism a public health crisis a few months before the virus hit, and the Mayor's Gender Equity Commission released a report that said Black women in Pittsburgh could improve their health outcomes by moving elsewhere. What specifically will you do about it? And we'll start with Mr. Peduto on this
4: one. Thank you. Partnerships. Uh, In order to be able to tackle these types of issues, the the big issues uh, that really define Pittsburgh and cities throughout this country, you need to find and create partnerships. Uh, When we put out that gender equity report, we did so in order to be able to create a baseline of data, to be able to take away any argument whether disparity and racism exists within the city of Pittsburgh, and to be able to show improvement from that. We've been working with RK Mellon Foundation and UPMC in order to be able to address the disparity that exists in giving birth between African-American women and the complications in pregnancy of white women. Being able to use that as a measurement and a guide in order to be able to end that disparity. Those same types of partnerships are absolutely critical in addressing all disparity
5: within the city.
0: Thank you, Mr. Peduto. And up next is Mr. Thompson.
5: Well, you have to give credit where credit is due. Uh, Bill Peduto and the city did study the issue, and you have to first study it and acknowledge it's a problem to begin the journey to fix it. And um, I think that's a good place to start, is to acknowledge that we do have a problem. Racism is an issue. It's much more difficult to be a Black woman in Pittsburgh than it is to be myself, a white man. That's just a fact and i think you know not enough people in the city outside of city government have necessarily you know acknowledged how bad the problem is certainly i think the solution would be you know a community focused approach you have to do more on creating stronger community the pandemic has taught us that we're all in this together and you know your neighbors and your neighborhoods matter i would like to see more social workers more outreach you know uh, stronger community groups I think we could do more as a community as a whole
0: thank you mr. Thompson and then we'll go to Ganey
2: you know um it's good that the gender equity um, the gender and equity report came out but the reality Chris is you know there are some things that are, are more rhetoric than concrete after over 30 years in office some as the council person and eight as mayor If you didn't realize by now if you're just realizing by now that there's a tale of two cities something's wrong something is definitely wrong if we're just finding out that black women health wise are doing deplorable in this region something is wrong part of the solution is access and opportunity we have to create an environment where everybody has an opportunity to be able to live and thrive in the city of Pittsburgh. this is not a new problem It's just a problem that has not been addressed. In a political season, we create the rhetoric to say what we're going to do or how should we do it. But I think results are known. And if it hasn't happened at eight, it's not going to happen at four. We need access and opportunity.
1: Thank you, Mr. Ganey. Mr. Peduto, I'll give you another chance to respond uh, if you wish to take it.
4: I'll be very brief. Before we took office, there wasn't a gender equity commission there wasn't a report, there wasn't a baseline. We were the ones who created it, empowered it, got the information, got the data, and then worked on the recommendations from that commission. And we're in the process of implementing those recommendations and changes. You don't get from point one to point five without doing the hard lifting and the hard work in order to be able to establish it criticizing our administration for the gender equity report when we were the ones that created it and has been recognized by the United Nations as being one of the best examples in this nation is a hollow attempt to try and make something out of an issue that is very critical to this city and politicizing it for political gain.
0: We're gonna end this one with Mr. Moreno.
3: This is a leadership issue. Uh, we are reactionary to everything we, we do. We should not have to have an equity report. This is where the political aspect from our elected officials come in. We should already know these things and you should know these things by acting amongst the community itself. You should know that there's not access to healthcare, that there is not an education to how the healthcare that is available works. Some of these communities don't even realize how to operate with a PCP. If we give access, then and put it to use through education, they'll get the health care that they need. If we listen to the community and we dwell amongst them, we work amongst them and we listen to the communities we serve, we won't have to gather a group of people to tell us how we should be operating. We need to lead from the front and not be reactionary. We should know ahead of time before a pandemic hits or before there's a crisis that those things are necessary, and that's where I come in, in the leadership role.
1: Thank you, Mr. Moreno. We move on to sort of a broader question about fairness uh, with respect to city services. It's a perennial complaint that places in the West End and in the South Hills complain about being forgotten, as we saw this past winter amid concerns about snow plowing. Black communities all across the city, meanwhile, have complained for years that there have been persistent disparities in things like streetscape improvements. What would you say to residents who feel this way today, and what would you do for them if you're given a four-year term? We uh, begin this round of questioning with Mr. Thompson.
5: Now, these are complaints I hear a lot. I know uh, specifically the 31st ward, when I was campaign manager for Kim Kaplan, she ran for city council in 2015. We spent a lot of time with those folks and it's just one of the many wards that feels kind of overlooked and forgotten and uh, not enough people from city government and the city come out there and you know interact with them, meet them, listen to their concerns. And it's kind of emblematic to some of our uh, more forgotten and neglected parts of the city. Um, I live in South Oakland. You know, we've only had a, a neighborhood association for a few years. Um, we were pretty happy when the mayor stopped by um, and gave an award to one of our longtime residents if we hadn't seen much uh, of the city and the previous administration. I mean, that's a good example of how you have to do more outreach. And um, I think we have to show up in person more often, and we need to help create stronger communities and community groups in some of these neighborhoods.
1: Thank you, Mr. Thompson. The uh, question
5: to you, Mr. Ganey.
2: It's not, it's not difficult to understand what it means when neighborhoods feel like they've been forgotten. There's a whole communities that feel like they've been forgotten in the past, but we haven't had the equitable services that everybody else has received. You have to show up in communities to show them that you care. And when you show up, people get to see you. They get to ask questions. They get to talk to you. You get to know firsthand of the repairs and the desires that neighborhoods want to see. And these neighborhoods that felt forgotten, we have to go out there and talk. And we have to make sure that we have the right city services and that they're working. You talked about snow plowing in Wintertown. We know that the morale at Public Works is down right now because they didn't feel they had the right equipment. So some of them didn't even go to work because they didn't feel that they were staffed with the equipment to be able to do the job properly. That's just lack of leadership. This is a situation where if you want people to feel that you care, you one, got to show up and two, you got to make sure that the equipment that, that we, we had at Public Works, the Public Works has that it works. That's how you show them you care. Thank you, Mr. Gandy. Mr. Moreno, the question to you.
3: It's a leadership and policy issue. Without a doubt, every neighborhood gets missed. Some gets missed, some get missed more than others. The important thing to do is go to those neighborhoods and listen to what they need. Not everybody needs the same thing, but everybody deserves to be listened to and prioritized. If we direct where people need services, they won't complain because they're getting the services they deserve. When you make a budget that's only 9% of public works, it's a tell. It shows the city how you feel about it. If we increase the services to all neighborhoods the same way, everybody will feel like they're being treated with dignity and respect when we drive around our town and we see that it's dirty we know that we pay people you need to have a leadership model that enforces policy that works for all neighborhoods and you'll start to see improvement in the morale will pick up and our citizens will be uh, express pleasure in our city
1: thank you uh mr moreno uh mr peduto you get the last word on this question
4: In 2014, we created a new department uh, called Innovation and Performance. And its key focus was on how effective our city operations and how efficient. By 2015, we realized we forgot the biggest E, equity. And we were the fifth city in the United States to create a Bureau of Equity. One that would look at every department, one that would hold every director responsible, not about creating equal, but equitable where there is greater need there will be greater resources spent and every director is responsible on an annual basis in order to be able to prove that when we talk about equity we talk about more than purchasing or contracts we talk about street lights and as we are replacing 40,000 led street lights before we replace one bulb we look at the entire city to see where the light distribution is where there are streetlights on every single pole, and where there are streetlights just at the intersections. Thank you, Mr. Peduto. Everything we do.
0: There's been a lot of discussion about gentrification, but Mr. Peduto raised some eyebrows in an earlier debate by suggesting we should also think about, quote, black flight, which is people of color choosing to move to other communities for better schools or safer neighborhoods. How much of Pittsburgh's declining black population do you think stems from black flight? And what does the city need to do to encourage those residents to stay? We'll start with uh, Mr. Ganey on this one.
2: Um, Thanks for the question. Um, You know, we often talk about that we've expanded the base, the tax base in the city of Pittsburgh. But what we don't talk about, and we call that progress, we call that growth. What we don't talk about is the 7,000 African Americans that's been pushed or forced out. And so if that's growth, if that's progress, then where was I in the plan? Were we in the plan to make a plan from an equity lens that we just talked about to ensure that all Pittsburgh had the opportunity to stay here? And if you talk to the people at Penley, they're not going to tell you that they left for better schools or for better conditions. They were forced out. It's one of the first things I called the mayor about when I found out about Penley. And he told me directly, Ed, I don't know nothing about it. I said, Mayor, if you don't know nothing about it, I'll go first, call the meeting and tell the people you don't know nothing about it. Later to find out, not only did he know, he cut the deal with it. And so when people say that it's black fight, it's not black flight, it's black force out. We're not in the economy.
1: Thank you, Mr. Ganey. Uh, The question to you, Mr. Moreno.
3: First, I want to talk about those street lights. Right now, they're changing uh, walnut street lights and all those lights used to work. At the same time, in Knoxville on Climax Street, they have lights that don't work. So it's proof of the inequity in services. Now, Ed Gainey walked into those Liberty Towers for Tom Murphy, offered $1,000 for the people to sign away their HUD rights and promised them housing, and those people are gone to never return. Uh, Ed Gainey sits on the URA board for Mayor Peduto right now. They work hand-in-hand at gentrifying these neighborhoods. Everybody knows it. It's aware. Uh, when I started doing this, I realized that there is a mission to remove people that don't have the ability to pay for the housing that they're building. It's horrifying that this happens. Both these elected officials are responsible for what's going on. They planted the seeds, and now they're talking about changing it. It's so hypocritical. What we need to do is build from the neighborhoods out and focus on what the individual communities need. Uh,
0: Mr. Peduto, you're up next for this one.
4: Thanks, Ariel. Um, I don't think that right now that we have a definitive answer to the question that you asked, which is what percentage of people are leaving the city because of gentrification? What percentage of people are leaving the city because of disinvestment? But we do know this. We know that in East Liberty and in Lawrenceville, people uh, are faced with the dilemma because the rent's going up and they are being forced to leave. And in those areas, we see gentrification. But that's not happening in Sheridan. That's not happening in belt Hoover. That's not happening in Knoxville. And you can't just put one general rule over the whole city that everybody is being forced to leave because of investment occurring in those neighborhoods. What people in these communities want is they wanna see investment brought in. They wanna see new housing. They wanna see the business district rebuilt. And when you try to solve a general problem with one solution, you fail.
0: And Mr. Thompson?
5: Well, again, I have to echo what Bill Peduto said, in that we can't know definitively what percentage of the residents leaving are from gentrification, but we can say that we're not doing development right. Uh, Ed Gainey is going to do something very similar to Bill Peduto. He's been on the URA board for years, and they did offer a thousand dollars to residents to waive their HUD rights. Okay, and I'm a HUD resident, and I will not waive my HUD rights. Let me put it that way. We need to see real development that when we gentrify, we have to include people. You can have what other cities do, 25% of all new housing is affordable housing. A simple rule, a simple law. We don't bend, we don't break, and we don't take money from developers. That's why my opponent's campaigns are so well funded. And then we don't give out tax breaks to developers. We make them build affordable housing in some of these gentrifying neighborhoods. So they will still gentrify there will be somewhere for some of the regular people to live.
1: Thank you, Mr. Thompson. Uh, Mr. Ganey, I would give you an opportunity to rebut, but I had a question uh, for you alone anyway, which is very responsive to it. People may not realize prior to becoming a state legislature legislator, you did work um, for former mayors uh, Tom Murphy and Luke Ravenstall, and you do sit on the URA board. Um, if you'd like to respond to anything Mr. Moreno had to say, uh, you're welcome to do so. But I'd also like to know what steps you took in those roles and whether you can point to uh, some successes to ensure that the city's prosperity it has been and will be shared equally.
2: So one, um, you know, and Tony knows this as well. I worked for a mayor. So one, I didn't offer anything because I wasn't at liberty nor that I had a power or authority to be able to offer anything. What I thought should have happened was that I should have built first. And I said that and I made it public. And then after you build first, then automatically make sure that there's money set aside for people to be able to move. That was my recommendation. But the reality is, and Tony knows, this. I worked for a mayor. I didn't have that authority nor that power. I would have loved, I'm from Liberty Park. Everybody knows I'm from Liberty Park. But I also know the conditions of Liberty Park. I know what it means to smell crack cocaine every single day. I know what it means to have people living in the hallways and in the stairwells, feces and open yarn and people having to stay up at night so the other people can sleep so they're not getting robbed through the night. I understand that. I seen it firsthand. So I understand what Mr. Moreno was saying, but the reality is he and I both know that I had no I had no power there. My recommendation was to build first and then move out. Thank you, Mr. Ganey.
0: Uh, so this is a question for all candidates. Pittsburgh has struggled with blight for years, and one challenge is that throughout that time, the city's own agencies have been among Pittsburgh's largest absentee landlords. Why do you think that is, and what specifically would you do about it in a four-year term? And we're going to start with Mr. Moreno on this one.
3: Currently, the real estate, uh, the head of the real estate office bought a house at auction for $2,500 that was valued at over $100,000. He went completely against the rules to the auction in buying uh, abandoned properties. He got caught and not one thing happened to him. Everything we see here right now is intentional. They intentionally allow auctions for residents to expire. They allow developers to come in and buy properties at at below market value. Then they increase those prices and it runs people out. To say that we're not responsible as a government and political uh, elected officials are not standing there offering these as an option to development is false. They come in and run us right out. There's no way that you could develop this way and not provide for the people that already live there. It's called gentrification and our political leaders are active in doing it.
0: Thank you, Mr. Moreno. Uh, Mr. Peduto, you're up next.
4: Uh, Let me put it in priority. Number one, we need to move the land bank into the URA and utilize the power of the URA in order to be able to capitalize on blight and turning it into opportunity. And that was fought by city council because they were afraid that the URA would take over control and there wouldn't be the control of council. Council now realizes we have to change it. Number two, we have to change the state law and we have to be able to clear title on these properties and not allow it to go to speculators just because they're willing to put an extra $1,000 in on the bid. These properties need to be used through a neighborhood land trust. And number three, we need to be able to recognize that there is a mismatch right now between affordable housing needs and vacant and blighted properties. We need the federal government and HUD to allow us to begin to use vouchers that pay rent in order to be able to pay mortgages and create equity and wealth within our neighborhoods.
0: Thank you, Mr. Perduto. i sorry, uh, Tom, Mr. Thompson, you're next.
5: I would definitely agree there's a mismatch between uh, renters and available property. I would like to see uh, large programs that help low income homeowners get uh, mortgages. Like the Oakland Fitting and Development Corporation in my neighborhood has a program to help low income renters become homeowners. And certainly we have a lot of properties that we own and there are many renters in the city that with a little help could become homeowners for a similar price to what they're paying. And I think we need to do more to kind of help along Low income renters to become low income homeowners. And, you know, they have the resources. Often they're paying a comparable rate. And it will be nice to see an ability for them to actually, you know, move into home ownership and take care of a home for about the same price
2: they're currently paying in rent.
0: And we will end this one with Mr. Ganey.
2: There's a lot of opportunity there. We need to work with community development corporations in the area to be able to talk about what they want to see in their neighborhood and how we can make it and how we can make that happen. That's number one is just working with the community development corporations, making more neighborly so that we're building into the we're building into the fabric of the neighborhood and not just gentrifying. it. We have that opportunity. We also have opportunity to have more green spaces. Because we understand that we're not going to have to populate everything with housing but we can make a community beautiful or a neighborhood beautiful by just making sure that we have adequate green space so that some of those vacant lots can turn into something that people can sit down and talk, congregate and be able to be around each other. But we haven't moved on it at all. There's been absolutely nothing. Been a lot of rhetoric, a lot of conversation but we haven't seen any plans that really talk about how we address the land bank and what we got to do to ensure we're working with neighborhood groups. At the end of the day, that's important and that's growth in the city of Pittsburgh.
1: Thank you, Mr. Ganey. We will uh, now turn uh, to a couple of questions about policing. Pittsburgh's police citizen review board is over 20 years old. What if anything should be done to improve it? And more broadly, what if anything needs to change about how the city handles officers with a history of public or disciplinary complaints? And we begin with you, Mr. Peduto.
4: Thanks. So a lot of the rules, almost all of the rules actually that pertain to the Citizens Police Review Board and the disciplining of officers are found under Act 111, a state act that limits the ability of municipalities to have the direct rule that I have for any other city employee. And there's a reason for that. Police officers and firefighters can't strike. And in return, these are the rules that the state negotiated. Um, looking at the Citizens Police Review Board, over the past seven years, the number of complaints against Pittsburgh police officers has gone down. The number of lawsuits against Pittsburgh police officers has gone down. The number of violent crime and homicide has gone down. And there's a direct result from this. It's, it's the training that we've been putting in. It's the ability to be able to work with our officers to de-escalate situations. In all of last year, in all of 2020, there were only two times that an officer took his weapon out and fired it. And after both times, it was after they were fired at first. Good,
1: and uh, the question now turns to Mr. Thompson.
5: 111, but he doesn't talk about how we work around it. Act 111 is a 1968 state law that handles um, collective bargaining unions. And basically, since they can't strike it, it says how unionized officers have to act. And we, we need to, of course, overturn the law that requires a democratic Pennsylvania legislature, um, and that is not what we have, and unfortunately, I don't know if they will have that anytime soon. So you have to say, what can we do? And what we can do is we can deunionize the police force. If we get rid of the police union, we don't have to worry about Act 111. We can sidestep it, and then we can fire all of these bad officers. And then the mayor has control of the police. Now we're an old city; the mayor used to have control of the police, and in other cities, the mayors do have control of the police. And there are other models. So we should fire all of those officers with disciplinary histories, and they should stay fired. And the only way to do that is to get rid of the police union.
1: Thank you, Mr. Thompson. Mr. Ganey, your response?
2: You know, we can have behind Act 111 arbitration if we want to. But here's the reality. Here's the reality. We talk about homicides being down. we seen what happened last summer in the park where peaceful protesters were pepper spray pepper spray when we had a chance to bring the city together to talk about something that really matters we did we had a public facebook posting with police officers from the city of Pittsburgh talking about how deplorable black lives matter is how deplorable lgbtqia members are and we heard nothing from downtown there was a black police officer. They said that if she called for backup, says she shouldn't have nobody come to her aid. Nothing from downtown. A couple months ago, you had a police officer on his Facebook page, two black girls pointing guns at each other. If we don't clean that up by firing them and don't worry about the arbitration to fight it, we can't have a police community relations that's making sense.
1: Thank you. And uh, this round of questioning uh, ends with you, Mr. Moreno.
2: Thanks, Uh, Act 111 can't be touched
3: and every union member, anybody related to any union member should listen and listen very well that Act 111 protects workers. Now, Civilian Review Board has a budget of $650,000. Every year, they receive about 290 complaints on average. In the last five years, they've only investigated seven of those. Out of those seven, in the last five years, they had one. One public hearing, and it was related to a court case that was already settled from 2015. So this is a complete waste of money. They do nothing positive. We, we give them hundreds of thousands of dollars. My response to the change would be put it in the hands of our elected officials in our Council people, make them responsible and answer to their communities. Spend some of that money so they can investigate and then give it to the DA's office. There's real responsibility that could be had here for public oversight.
0: Thanks, Mr. Marino. And this is actually a good segue to the next question, which is just for Mr. Peduto. In the past year, there have been a lot of criticisms of police and how they handled last summer's Black Lives Matter protest what have you changed about how policing is done in pittsburgh as a result of those protests
4: well the first thing i did is i took the people who were in charge of command out of command uh, the ones that had the decision making on what the necessary use of force would be Um, i replaced them with new command staff and then i added i added people from public safety created a civilian affairs division that worked in working with protesters to be able to not only allow Second Amendment rights, but to assure the safety of individuals when demonstrating those rights. We worked in order to have representatives uh, both from my office and uh, the community in the room as decisions were being made on the necessity of escalation of force. And we took a position where we stood down after certain incidents, unless there was a physical harm that was recognized uh, and not a, a harm to a building or a structure.
1: Thank you, Mr. Peduto. Uh, Mr. Moreno, a, a question directed simply to you, uh, directly to you um, because you are a retired police officer. Um, What do you suggest uh, be done with officers who have repeated disciplinary issues? I believe I've heard you say previously they should sort of be taken out of public circulation, um, given more administrative tasks, uh, which would, of course, still have them on the city payroll. Uh, I'm curious, is that good enough? Um, And does that not speak uh, perhaps to Mr. Thompson's point that uh, the union, the police union, uh, maybe has more power than it should um, when it comes to a critical public service like policing? One minute
3: the police union simply responds to actions done by the administration if an officer can't be fired he can't be fired and that's because he hasn't done anything illegal now if he just asked ask, acts untastefully and should not be in public purview then you remove him or her and put them in a place where they're not in public consumption you can't police bad manners but you can take them out of the area where they're committing infractions against the public. That's the majority of the complaints that happen through the Civilian Review Board, and it's not addressed at all. We do not have any kind of training that goes towards uh, public service or uh, community relations in in how we respond to the individual citizen. We need a customer service training. We need to show our officers that we have to be trauma informed. We can't just fire everybody because they have bad manners. We have to address it. Uh, what, am I going to be able to respond to the initial question?
1: I'm um, sorry. Did you not? We can uh, we can uh, uh,
3: question about paste the you
1: back in. I, that question was only for Mr. Peduto about his response okay. to police. Oh, yeah.
3: Oh, okay, yeah. Thank
1: you. Um, Ariel, why don't you move ahead to police budget?
0: OK, yeah. Um, So this is a question for all of our candidates now. So, you know, there's been a national debate about whether it's time to spend less on policing and more on housing and efforts to fight poverty and deliver social equity. Uh, locally, though, since twenty between 2013 and 2020, the city's budget for police has increased by more than 50 percent. The city now has about 900 officers and will spend $106 million on policing this year. Public safety officials have said they finally have enough police to patrol the streets and that cuts would likely affect community outreach first. So my question is, what's the ideal size of the police force and its budget compared to where it is now? Would it be half as large or twice as large? And we're going to start with Mr. Thompson on this one.
5: Pretty simple. You have to reevaluate emergency services. When you call 911 and you break your leg, we don't send two cops with guns, we send an EMT. You need to do the same thing for other issues, okay? If you have the worst day of your life in a mental health crisis, send a social worker. There's no need to send an armed police officer, okay? And you use the money from the police department to hire social workers and mental health outreach, your personnel, okay? And then when they show up, they are not armed police officers, social workers. They know how to de escalate. They don't see threats where there are no threats. People keep on dying because they sent armed police officers on mental health cases and they shoot and kill the individuals. And we can't allow that to happen. And that starts by reevaluating the budget and
2: who responds when you call 911.
0: Thank you, Mr. Thompson. Uh, we would next go to Ed Ganey
2: budget should be reflective of how we want to build police and community relations so there's a couple things that we can do one is let me start with with the third one and I, um, one is making sure that we have social workers go out on calls i think that's critical we can de-escalate a lot of the things that's going on out there right now if we had people that could de-escalate things because that's what they're trained to do particularly on calls that don't really need police to go out there that's one way the second way is we could talk about how we stop over policing in communities this this is a staggering statistic. In 2019, based on the Pittsburgh Police Review, I mean, Pittsburgh Bureau of Police, 2019 stats as crime is down. Violent homicide is down. Sixty three percent of arrests is African-American. That's just over policing in neighborhoods and we can change that. There's no way that we can be working on a better police community's relations and 60%, 63% of African Americans are going to jail. Something's wrong there. It's wrong.
0: Thank you, Mr. Ganey. Uh, Mr. Moreno, you're next.
3: Well, When you look at the police budget, uh, it's separate uh, from the other three entities. Public safety is the number one responsibility we have to the city and the citizens. It's keeping our uh, citizens safe. It's how you manage that. Uh, there's there's the fire bureau, the medics, uh, the crossing guards are in there. We have to responsibly spend that money. We sit at about uh, 950 now. We were up to 1,011 officers. It's how they're used that's important. What we see is the government right now pulling a fraud on on the citizens. They came out with a commission and recommendations from the 23 person panel and police reform and most of those things are already in use. We are the state model for crisis intervention. I teach de-escalation in that class. It is the leadership's unenforcing the policy in place that you see the problem and we need to change that. And that's where I'm specifically in tune with how those changes need to happen.
0: Thank you, Mr. Moreno. And we're going to end this one with Peduto.
4: Thank you. Uh, so the question is the budget and policing. Um, When we came into office, uh, Pittsburgh Bureau of Police was using tactics such as jump patrols, where officers would jump out of vehicles and ask people what they're doing. Uh, We had programs where officers were doing stop and frisks. We, We changed that. We were one of the six cities chosen by the Obama administration to begin a new process called uh partial bias and being able to train our officers in those times of de-escalation. De- and it's proven successful. The number of complaints against Pittsburgh police officers are down. The number of lawsuits against Pittsburgh police officers are down. Arrests are up. We have seen success within the police bureau. And I realize that what happens all over this country, we want to just label as what's happening here in Pittsburgh, but it's unfair to be able to ignore the key indicators of the success the Pittsburgh Police Bureau has had. Thank you, Mr. Peduto. We're gonna
1: turn, uh, perhaps as our last topic here, Uh, we're going to turn to the question of nonprofits, some of our largest employers in the city. And I'm gonna start with Mr. Peduto alone and then broaden the question to the rest of the group. Uh, For the first two terms of your administration, you have basically promised a new approach to uh, how we handle uh, large nonprofit employers. It was supposed to create a separate fund into which they could contribute uh, and help fund social needs of various kinds. I know there have been some grants made by those entities, but as we sit here now, this, the nonprofits contribute less to the city's general fund uh, than they did when you took office. So what are you gonna to do to reverse that if you're given another four years, or have we sort of given up on this?
4: No, 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 we won't give up until we have success in a formal program. Let's be clear, the nonprofits have given more to the city than they did when they were giving two or three million dollars to our general fund. Now that had been the history for years and years, and I wouldn't settle for that. When we needed a homeless shelter, we were able to go to UPMC and get $5 million, we were able to go to AHN and get $5 million. When We needed a workforce development center in Homewood, we were able to go to the University of Pittsburgh, we're partnered with Carnegie Mellon on countless of tens of millions of dollars that have all come back into the community what we need is a formal organization that recognizes that as a commitment over a number of years and to be able to tackle all these big issues that we're talking about and all these solutions it can't be solved by city government alone it has to be a partnership not a
1: lawsuit thank you uh mayor Uh, miss More broadly, actually, uh, uh, Ariel, I'm sorry, you take this. I I, I was about (laughs) to jump on your thing, I'm sorry.
0: Oh, it's all right. Um, So this question is to the other candidates. Um, The truth is that no administration has gotten more than a few million dollars a year in payments from nonprofits, which is a drop in the bucket considering these are some of the region's largest employers. A lawsuit from the Ravenstall administration filed against UPMC's tax exemptions generated a counter lawsuit and promised years of litigation. Why should we think you'll have better luck as mayor? And we'll start with Mr. Thompson on this one.
5: Well, I don't think we're going to sue them. Uh, I don't think that's the correct approach. Um, A lawsuit could start in my administration. Now, I'm for firm term limits, so I don't want to serve more than eight years. And no mayor in Pittsburgh should ever serve more than eight years again. Okay, very simple. So let me say this. The lawsuit might not be resolved during my eight year term, Okay. and that's just the way law works and that's how the process is and so i think realistically we have to partner with them we have to negotiate we have to take a very firm negotiating stand and ask them to give more to the community they're successful because they live here they're residents of our community and they need to contribute they need to contribute more okay and if they want all the good press of living here they also need to pay more and contribute more in different ways than they are now okay there are many different ways they can help us and we're not utilizing that as well as we should
0: thank you mr. Thompson mr. Ganey you're up next
2: thank you um power concedes to nothing and so if we just think that we're going to sit here we're going to create partnerships and in these partnerships they're going to begin to get begin to give their fair share listen it hasn't happened it's good conversation but it hasn't happened So if we say we're going to go to court to try to um, challenge their nonprofit status and we know that it could get caught up in litigation and that litigation could could last a long time, something has to begin to continue to to have these conversations and nothing is happening. And then we come here and we say they partner with this, they partner with that. But they haven't paid their fair share. They haven't let people unionize at some level and we understanding that power can cease to nothing we also have to be able to talk about what we can do in the court of law and whether that gets resolved under my leadership or the next leadership we begin something to bring this city together that's important that's what we should do
0: mr marina
3: i want to retouch on the 21st century policing we sent the only officer in who is a subject matter expert in crisis intervention and identifying people with mental health and providing services equally. Dr. Poloko went to the White House, spoke before all the leaders in policing, came back with recommendations that were not fulfilled. We have a model of social workers going with officers that's been presented since 2012 and it's been refused. It's lack of leadership. Right now, according to uh, the budget-
1: our, Mr. Miranda, do you want to answer the question on the floor here?
3: Our leadership right now knows that St. Margaret's is city property, and we pay they pay us $550,000 a year to provide services. I don't know why our elected officials do not use that model to put in place a, a policy that has them pay for the services they receive. They're faulty for not doing it.
1: Thank you, Mr. Moreno. This uh, uh, last question here is is for you and uh, Mr. Thompson alone. I think it's fair to say that um, most Pittsburghers probably hadn't heard of either of you gentlemen until this campaign. Um, neither of you have held a city elected office before, uh, and yet you're running for the top post in city government and administering a budget of nearly a half billion dollars. Why should we trust you with that leadership role? Um, and we can start uh, with Mr. Thompson on this
5: one. Make a wish, kid, with a brand new liver. So my goal is not more money or wealth and power. It's to help others. A local woman, okay, gave me half of her liver because she thought I was worth saving, okay? And my goal is really just to give back and help others. And I think that I can do that fairly well. Um, You haven't seen me around because I was pretty sick, okay? And things are going much better for my life. And I'm here to a little bit of hope. People are in, in a, a problematic time. It's a pandemic. It's an economic recession. Things are getting worse, especially for certain members of our community. Women have an especially hard time. Those with children, um, People, minorities are having an especially hard time. And I know what it feels like to be a rock bottom and to lose hope. And I'm here to say that things will get better we'll make it better. I'm 38, okay? And I'm more interested in the next 30 years. I'll be around. I'll be here to help. I'm a nice Jewish guy and I'm here to help.
1: Thank you, Mr. Thompson. Mr. Moreno, the question to you.
3: I'm to be trusted because I have a value system and a moral standard that starts with my belief in God. I have sworn myself to this country and I've sworn an oath to this city to protect it with my life. I do not believe that our leadership currently politically serves us in the citizens' best interest. It's because they've only done politics their entire career, and that's how they know how to operate. I don't know them personally, but I know how they act politically, and it's not in the best interest of our citizens. I'm not new to public service. I'm just not an elected official. I've traveled all over this city. I've made relationships all over this city, and that's why I'm doing so well. That's why I find myself winning this election. That's why I find myself ahead in this, even though I've never been in this. I'm moving these politicians to do things they've never done because I represent the city of Pittsburgh on it. I don't represent myself in this. I'm not, I'm not working towards anything but saving the city. I'm coming out of retirement to do it. That's why I should be trusted.
0: Thank you, Mr. Moreno. Um, so that concludes the question and answer period of our debate. And we now turn to one-minute closing statements. And we will go in alphabetical order again. And we will begin with Ed Ganey.
2: First, I want to thank everybody for having me today. I appreciate it. We can't build a city on broken promises. We were, we were, we, we were promised better police community relations. That never occurred. 63% of African-Americans were going to jail. It never happened. We were promised more affordable housing. It never occurred. 7,000 people displaced or forced out of their community. We were promised a better situation when it comes to everybody paying their fair share with nonprofits. Never happened. We were promised in the gender equity report that there would be things that would happen, and after 38 years in office, we didn't need a report to know that action has to be taken now. It never happened. Public works, the morale so low, low, the equipment not there, it never happened. We need a leader that's gonna go to work every day to improve this city. Every day to make this city the best it can be for everybody, for all. A vote for Ed Gainey, and I'm asking for your vote, is a vote to make Pittsburgh a city for all. That's what we can deliver.
0: And next is Mr. Marina.
3: I'm asking for your vote right now,
2: city of Pittsburgh, because we
3: see elected officials running for office that have been elected officials for decades. They've been in charge for years and years and years. We've seen them work hand in hand, but they work for themselves. They do not work for us. We see failures across the board and they're talking about them right now and they're the ones that are the decision-makers. There's no reason to elect them. There's no reason to give them this job. There's no reason to believe that they are going to do something different now because they've had the opportunity to fix it. They allow these problems to sit so they have talking points. I have no other interest but to cure these ills, to fix these problems, to create jobs and housing in our neighborhoods with our workforce inside of the city of Pittsburgh. I'm the one that can do this because I treat everybody with dignity, respect, and I have a love for Pittsburgh and I'm asking for your vote. Thank you.
0: And Mr. Perdita?
4: Eight years ago, you gave me an opportunity. Um, you said the city government's broken, fix it. And we did. We went in and we overhauled the entire city government. We not only created new departments and new divisions, we created a new culture within city government. Are there problems? Are there still things that we need to do? Of course there are. But what we brought was something different. We brought new ideas to old problems. We brought solutions, and we incorporated a camaraderie across this city, starting within our neighborhoods and creating community-based plans and stretching out across labor, corporate, nonprofit, philanthropical, in order to be able to understand that if we work together and that if we row together, anything is possible. We've overcome crisis together, Pittsburgh, and the best days, I believe, are still ahead. But in order to get there, it requires one,
5: Pittsburgh.
0: And Mr. Thompson.
5: After the synagogue shooting, we've noticed that there's a lot of hate and there are certainly problems in our city and our county and at large. The Jewish principle is Tikun olom, you want to heal the world, which means that we have to look after each other. You know, Think of the world around us as paradise, okay? And God has given us a wonderful world. We have to do a better job helping the environment, helping each other, helping our neighbors, our community, look after the old people and the sick people in your area. You have to do more outreach, more basics for the town of Mr. Rogers, and we just need to act like it. We have to remember that You know, this is just politics and that we are friends and neighbors and we have to work with each other before, during, after the election and put some of our differences aside and make sure that we are first and foremost helping each other, our neighbors, and our community. I think we need to kind of get back to basics and be better neighbors and have better neighborhoods.
1: Thank you, Mr. Thompson. That is all the time we have for our discussion. We'd like to thank all four of our candidates, Ed Ganey, Tony Moreno, Bill Peduto, and Mike Thompson. We'd also like to thank our partners at the Pittsburgh Black Media Federation, as well as Chris Ayers and Nick Wright for their help with production.
0: This year's spring primary will be held May 18th, and your last day to register to vote is May 3rd. With Chris Potter, I'm 90.5 WESA's Ariel Worthy. Thanks for joining us.